It's the Old Man Yells at Music Podcast. The show where a guy looks back at selected hits from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Also, some old musical TV shows, albums you may have forgotten or never even heard of, and more. Now, here's your host, the old man himself, Roger Stroop. Hello, and welcome to episode 91 of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Stroop. This week is the 11th installment of my subseries, Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out, where I look at pop music-themed television shows and specials. Since we're around the end of one year and the beginning of another, I had planned to do another Dick Clark New Year's Rockin' Eve like I did last year. But with the recent passing of Mike Nesmith, I decided to go in another direction. So to kick off a new year, I'm hitting you with a double shot of Monkey Mania. We're going to look first at a special from a period where the boys were trying to find their niche after their TV after the TV series that birthed them was canceled. Then we'll jump nearly three decades ahead when the group was attempting their second comeback into the mainstream. And so I present Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out number 11, 33 and a third revolutions per monkey, and Hey Hey, It's the Monkeys. The origin story of the monkeys is pretty well known. In 1965, Hollywood producers Bob Rafelson and Burt Schneider, inspired by the success of the Beatles movies A Hard Day's Night and Help, came up with the idea of a weekly comedy TV series following the adventures of a rock band. After getting turned down by a few existing groups, they decided to put one together themselves. And after an audition process, they assembled Mickey Dolenz, Davy Jones, Michael Nesmith, and Peter Tork. The show debuted in September of 1966, and it was an immediate hit. And the fictional band's music also got to a fl- off to a flying start, with their debut single, Last Train to Clarksville, hitting number one. They had two more number ones after this, but the group started to resent the fact that they weren't being allowed to play instruments on their records or compose their own songs. They fought for and won more control over their music, but in early 1968, they lost their main platform when NBC canceled their series. After this, Bob Rafelson decided to steer the group in a more countercultural direction, casting them in a movie called Head, which he co-wrote with a young Jack Nicholson. However, the movie flopped, and at the same time, the band's record sales were on a steep decline. The next move was to try to get their career back on track with a return to television. So it was that on April 14, 1969, NBC aired the special 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. We open with a shot of a mirror in which a pair of lips asks in a deep voice, Who are you? The camera pans up to reveal that the mirror is on a necklace worn by a woman with short blonde hair wearing some sort of futuristic orange garment. In a drawn-out semi-shriek, she replies, I am woman! She bites into an apple, 
which is then taken from her by a male hand. The other voice says in a slightly Germanic accent, We have the knowledge, evil though it may be, to twist the mind to do any lunacy we wish. Then we see hands working on the knobs above the keys of a piano, keyboard kind of thing, painted in psychedelic colors. Those hands belong to a guy with a supervillain haircut and a similar orange outfit. He says that they will take the means of mass communication and use four young musicians and rock and roll to control their minds. And after they brainwash them, they will brainwash the world! Then the two of them have an evil cackle together. In real life, these two are British musicians Julie Driscoll and Brian Auger. Auger fronted a band called Brian Auger and the Trinity, and Driscoll had collaborated with them in 1968 on a top-five UK hit cover of Bob Dylan's This Wheel's on Fire. Why they, were, why they were on this special, I don't know. Anyway, he says, I conjure thee. And she says, I conjure thee. More drawn out like that. The monkeys then appear before them, and then these clear tubes are lowered onto them. The alien supervillain guy, you know what, I'll just call the two of them ASVs. Anyway, the ASV guy asks Mickey, who are you? He says, I'm Mickey Dolenz. He says, ASV says, no, you are monkey number one. Mickey starts to object. Then he suddenly becomes monotone and says, I am monkey number one. ASV guy then repeats the process with Peter, then Michael, then Davey. Then the monkey's TV theme plays, speeds up, then slows down. And the monkeys themselves do the same, eventually powering down. Paraphrasing the song, the male ASV says, Now I've got something to say. You are all in my power. Then he bites an apple and we fade to black. There are no commercials on this video, sadly, so we come right back to the female ASV walking up to the monkeys, who are now non-zombified and are struggling to escape their tubes. She calls them silly boys and tells them that brute force will get them nowhere. She says her male counterpart is gone, and that's why their minds are free. Think yourselves out, she says. Picture your minds floating out of your heads into your own world of fantasy. Then we see an effect meant to depict their spirits leaving their bodies. It actually wasn't bad for 1969. Now we see some green flashing lights in the dark. Then there's Mickey, dressed all in black, singing an organ-driven psychedelic soul version of I'm a Believer. It's a different take, but it works. The female ASV takes a microphone and starts singing with them as they continue to be lit in different colors. Then all of a sudden it stops. Now we hear a sitar and see some women dressed in gold dancing in a style similar to Bollywood movies. Then we see an elevated platform on which Peter sits cross-legged, dressed like a stereotypical Eastern guru. He begins singing a song called, I prithee do not ask for love. It's like a medieval minstrel folk ballad with a touch of Indian influence. It's all right. There's a lot of smoke effects, probably made with dry ice. 
Then a blonde woman comes along and shoots a gun at a poster that says, Wanted, $25,000 reward. Not one, but two Mike Nesmiths appear in front of the poster. One is dressed in a flashy white suit of the kind favored by country singers of the time, complete with a white cowboy hat. The other is in a beige suit. They both have guitars, and they proceed to play a, and sing a, they proceed to play and sing a song called "Naked Persimmon." The verses are, are fast rock, while the choruses are slow country. It reminds me of what bands like The Birds were doing at the time. Then we hear a gunshot, and the mic on the left falls over. The other mic gets up, and then he gets shot too. Then we hear some music box style music. And we see Davy in old-timey little boy clothes, surrounded by doll-like women. He sings a song called Goldilocks sometimes and dances with the girls, all all of whom are dressed as various fairy tale characters. Then they disappear, leaving him alone. Male ASV then appears, commenting on how interesting the monkey's fantasies are. He says they reveal signs of frustration, withdrawal, schizophrenia, and reversion. He may have advanced mind control technology, but I'm not sure I trust his psychological expertise. Now we cut back to Davy and the reappearing dolls, who resume dancing, then scamper around the dollhouse for a bit. ASV guy says... Very well. Send them back to the tubes. We will continue with the brainwash. The monkeys are returned to their tubes, and ASV guy laughs maniacally. Then we see the band in front of colorful reels of rubber hose or something like that. They all have wind-up toy keys on their backs, and together they sing a song called, appropriately enough, Wind-Up Man. It seems to be performed on an early synthesizer. The boys are doing herky-jerky robot moves while wearing gold shirts, brown vests, and red pants with stars on one leg. By the end of the song, the group start to burst out laughing, and a sign comes down with a background of colorful clouds over which the words, This Space for Rent, are written in that old-school computer font that you sometimes see on the numbers on checks. We cut back to ASV Guy who criticizes the performance as being too mechanical and rhythmically wrong. He says he'll teach them another song, starting with a short, simple rhythm, which he plays on his psychedelic mind control organ. We pull back and see that he's on top of a white piano that's being played by Jerry Lee Lewis, whose name is conveniently on the instrument he's playing. We pull back again to see that he's on top of Little Richard, playing on a bigger white piano with his name on it. Then we pull back again to see that they're all on top of an even bigger white piano played by Fats Domino, as is labeled on the piano. Mr. ASV says that the rhythm has a hypnotic effect that will wreck the mind and body. Then all of a sudden, the image appears to be torn apart like a piece of paper by a man dressed in black who says, this is all wrong. They're trying to walk before they can crawl. They should be returning to the start of it all. The monkeys then sing, In the beginning there was Darwin, and we cut back to the guy to the, to the guy in black, and now he's holding a giant business card that says, 
Charles Darwin, loon extraordinaire. I think that one word is loon. I think that's what the word is. It's written in a font that wasn't completely legible in this video format. They sing a couple more lines, and Darwin makes a couple more interjections. We then cut to a screen playing images of fire and nuclear explosions, over which a group of male and female dancers in colored skin-tight bodysuits begin to do an interpretive dance to some kind of weird music. This is apparently the work of a group called Paul Arnold and the Moon Express, an experimental outfit led by former violin prodigy Arnold and a a Yemeni singer and dancer named Tzvia, T-S-V-I-A, Tzvia Abarbanel. The piece is called Only the Fittest Shall Survive, which involves an an ominous sounding narrator female wailing, and the dancers performing some sort of interpretation of evolution. It's a trippy bit of business that pretty clearly timestamps this show. Then we are back to the monkeys, who who are in white ape costumes, performing a song called I Go Ape a cover of a late 50s Neil Sedaka song with a Jerry Lee Lewis kind of vibe. Other people in ape costumes of different colors join the band in comedy hijinks that are manipulated with editing gimmicks. At one point, an uncostumed Davy peeks out from behind a plant and says, I don't believe it. In a very similar way to that Artie Johnson very interesting gag from Laugh-In. The two the performance ends with the monkeys with two E's, those monkeys, trapped by a net that fell from the ceiling. Then the EVAs are back, and the male one says that evolution can do no more. Now it's time for science to take over. He then asks his female colleague if she can make a man out of that one. To which she replies, I'll see what I can do, darling. Then they join their band, The Trinity, on a psychedelic garage rock song called Come Up, Come On Up. In between her singing in between her singing parts, the female EVA, aka Julie Driscoll, starts fondling an apple, then offers bites of it to first Peter and then the male EVA slash Bran Auger, before throwing it to the ground. After the song ends, the monkeys are beamed back up to where they were first put into the tubes. Augur repeats the line about brainwashing them so they can brain so they can brainwash the world. Driscoll brings her hand to her face, then jerks it away, and we get a repeat of the shot of Davy saying, I don't believe it, before we fade to black again. We return to still shots of old rock acts from the 50s. I'm ashamed to say that the only one I recognized with certainty was Chuck Berry. Over this, Augur talks about how the boys are ready to make their debut at the Paramount Theater in 1958. So we're time traveling now. Cut to Augur dressed as a 50s DJ, introducing the monkeys to a screaming crowd, saying they've been idolized, plasticized, psychoanalyzed, and sterilized. 
The monkeys then emerge from what looks like a birdcage in white, wearing white suits. Then they sing the old Danny and the Juniors hit, At the Hop. Then we cut to Fats Domino at a piano singing, I'm Ready. Then Jerry Lee Lewis does some of Whole Lot of Shaking going on. Then Little Richard, resplendent in a white shirt decorated with little mirrors that make him look like a human disco ball, sings Tutti Frutti. Then a few dancers dressed like 50s teenagers come on stage to dance as the monkeys, backed by a group called We Three, sing the R&B staple Shake a Tail Feather, which fits into the scene even though it actually wasn't written until 1963. Then Fats is back to do Blue Monday. Then the monkeys are back singing Little Darlin', a 1957 hit by the Canadian group The Diamonds. Davy takes lead vocals on this one, with Peter doing the deep spoken word part. Then Little Richard plays Long Tall Sally. Then there's a little interlude before Jerry Lee Lewis performs his song Down the Line. This segment ends with a gospel group called the Clara Ward Singers doing a rousing performance of the old spiritual Dem Bones. You know, the leg bones connected to the knee bone, etc., etc., Ward is like Diana Ross compared to the other two Supremes, although her dancing is much more energetic than anything Diana ever did. And then there's a state-of-the-1969-art state effect of dancing skeletons. To me, this bit was the high point of the whole show. Then a fire in the middle of the screen burns away the whole picture, revealing Augur with a torch. He says, stop the show. This has gotten out of hand. He then introduces himself and Driscoll under their real names and says, they don't want anything to do with this brainwashing thing. We want complete and total freedom. Do you know what that means? Then he holds the microphone to Driscoll, who says, yeah. Utter bloody shambles. Then we cut to Davy standing on top of what appears to be a lifeguard stand, singing a song called String for My Kite. As he sings, the camera slowly pulls back to reveal a room full of things like drums, an amplifier, a jukebox, and other assorted musical equipment and other junk. By the end of the song, we're so far back that Davy is barely visible. Then Peter walks in and sits down at a clavinet, which is a kind of electric keyboard that Stevie Wonder would end up using a lot on his early 70s material, most notably on Superstition. Peter plays Solfagetto, a piece composed by Carl Philip Emanuel Bach, son of Johann Sebastian Bach. Then Mickey, Davy, and Mike join in. Mickey takes the drums Davy grabs a tambourine, and Mike gets a Les Paul guitar from off the top of the amp, steps to a mic, and leads the group in a country rock song called Listen to the Band. The room then begins to fill up. All the musicians from the rest of the show, with the possible exception, with the possible exception of the 350s legends, I didn't see them in there, join in on the song, along with the previously unseen Buddy Miles Express a group led by Buddy Miles, a drummer who would join Jimi Hendrix in his band of gypsies, and then in the 80s sang lead on albums by the claymation advertising characters, the California Raisins. 
They are joined by roughly 100 extras the producers found on the Sunset Strip and bust to the studio. It becomes a disorganized jam slash freakout, the highlights of which includes someone holding up a sign next to Mickey saying that set, the sign says, he's really playing this, and Davy singing the old folk song, Show Me the Way to Go Home. Then the scene appears as a photo on the page of a book, which is closed by a furry ape-like hand, revealing the title, Beginning of the End. The credits roll to scenes from the Moon Express performance, played backwards, and Peter is singing a version of California Here We Come. Then there's an explosion sound, a mushroom cloud, and fire. And that's it. Well, this was something. It was a blend of sci-fi, surrealism, stoner humor, hippie idealism, and tribute to the golden age of rock and roll. It doesn't hold together in any coherent way. Everyone involved, except maybe the rock legends, look lost. Those three seem to be of the attitude that this is a gig, we'll do our thing, then cash the check and forget about it. In a different time, someone at the network might have seen this and said, this doesn't make any sense. We're not going to air this. But in 1969, when the defining attitude of the youth culture was experimentation, the producers could have just said, of course you don't get it. You're old. And the suits would have no comeback. Like Head it was an attempt for the monkeys to change with the times. And they seem game, but the only time they really look like they're doing what they want to do is in the closing number. Overall, this show is compelling in a why-does-this-exist kind of way. Even before this special aired, Peter Tork had left the group, reducing them to a trio. And it didn't give them any kind of boost. It probably didn't help that NBC aired the show on the same night as ABC aired the Academy Awards. The Monkees put out two more albums before breaking up in 1970. Six years later, Mickey Dolenz and Davy Jones teamed up with Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, a duo who had written mon multiple Monkees hits, including Last Train to Clarksville. Together, they all formed Dolan's Jones, Boyce, and Hart, a group that lasted through one album and a subsequent tour. Peter Tork tried other musical endeavors, but none were very successful. Michael Nesmith, meanwhile, had a top 40 hit with his band, The First National Band, in 1970 with a song called Joanne. But he, was, he would make his mark later on as a pioneer in music video, making the groundbreaking long-form video Elephant Parts and creating a TV show called Pop Clips that became the inspiration for MTV. MTV would have an impact on him and the rest of the monkeys in a way he, he couldn't have imagined. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Old Man Yells at Music podcast now has a Patreon. Yes, if you like this podcast so much you are moved to financially support it, now you can. There are different tiers with different rewards, such as early episode access, the ability to vote on future topics, and bonus episodes about extra songs from the charts I cover, other charts from other years, genres, and countries, and even the biggest hits of the 21st century. And you can... Even pick an episode topic for me at the top level. 
So if you're interested, go to patreon.com and search Old Man Yells at Music. Or click on the link click on the links to the show notes, my social media posts, or the blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Help me yell more at more music. Become a Patreon subscriber today. In 1986, the 20th anniversary of its debut, MTV aired a marathon of all of the episodes of the Monkees TV show. This drew high ratings, and the group, without Nesmith, who had other commitments, went on a successful 20th anniversary tour. A new compilation called Then and Now, The Best of the Monkees was released, which included a new song by Dolans and Torque called That Was Then, This Is Now, which became a top 20 hit. Encouraged by this success, Dolan's Torque and Jones recorded a new Monkees album called Pool It in 1987, but its only charting single, Heart and Soul, peaked at number 87. Also that year, the remains of the show's original production company assembled a new group called The New Monkees, but their TV show flopped, and their album, well... It was the subject of my very first Tale from the Bargain Bin. Mickey, Davy, and Peter continued to appear together and record on and off in the ensuing years. And in 1996, they even convinced Mike Nesmith to rejoin them for a new album called Just Us. To help promote the album, the band made a new TV special written and directed by Nesmith. So it was that on February 17, 1997, Hey Hey, It's the Monkees aired on ABC. The show starts with Peter coming down the stairs while a background music version of the Monkees theme plays. We cut to someone in a welder's mask and apron taking a metal container with sparks shooting out of it out of a microwave. Davy asks, what's that? Mickey takes off his welder's mask and tells him it's their new gimmick, a drink that will make anyone instantly throw up. Davy seems disgusted by this. The doorbell, which of course plays the monkey's theme, rings, and Mickey answer it, answers it. The man at the door asks if this is the monkey's pad, and when told that it is, the man tells Mickey that a rich old man has died and left the band his entire fortune on the condition that they spend one night in his mansion, which some believe is, lightning and thunder effects, haunted. Mickey says, wait, we did that one already, Did, didn't we? And Mike says, yeah, it was episode 186 or something. Peter adds that they were wearing bell-bottoms at the time. You see, the idea of this show is that even while they were off the air, the boys kept on doing episodes of the show. How and if Head and 33 and a Third Revolutions per Monkey fit into that continuity, I don't know. Anyway, Mickey tells the lawyer sorry and offers him a drink in the form of the sparking metal cup. The lawyer takes it as Mickey closes the door, and a moment later we hear the sound of vomiting. We get an updated version of the opening title sequence with a new performance of the theme and the present-day monkeys playing on stage and getting up to crazy hijinks. Then we're back in the house, where Mickey is talking about a band that beat them out for a gig the previous week by trashing the stage. He says they were grungy and offensive. And rich, Davy adds. 
During this scene, Peter begins randomly listing euphemisms for throwing up, such as tossing your cookies and driving the porcelain bus. Mickey then asks, asks, excuse me, who's that other band, the one with the blood and the makeup? Kiss, says Davy. No thanks, says Mickey. You know the band, they wear high heels and the one guy has a nine-foot tongue. Mike says, kiss? No, thank, uh, no, says Mickey, but I think Davy wants one. He says the monkeys could be the world's first throw-up band. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. People say we... Kids will love it. Davy says, maybe two-year-olds, but tonight we're playing the most prestigious country club in the city. Maybe the world. Mike then clarifies that Kiss is the name of the band that Mickey was talking about. He's, and he adds, they're like kabuki metal. We see more metal cups with the vomit drink as Mickey tells the rest that the vomit doesn't have to be gross. It can be more like confetti. Davy says, people don't want to see that from, that from us. And anyway, tonight we're playing for only the best people, so we need to dress up and play it straight. Mike says he can do Tasmanian kabuki. A gong sounds. Then he does some vaguely Asian movements and sounds while a tornado effect surrounds him, like Taz from Bugs Bunny, and he grunts and snorts. Mickey says that's great, but Davy disagrees. Mike agrees with Davy that they don't need a gimmick and starts quoting that I Believe song we covered a couple episodes ago. You know, I believe that for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. To which Mickey rhymes, and when the monkeys sing, they also blow. Exasperated, Davy walks away and opens the fridge, which contains random non-food items, as well as little tourists being led by a tour guide who points out a, to a, a tomato that was thrown at Mickey in 1983. Davy takes out a pineapple, then reiterates his opposition to gimmicks to which Mickey asks him about all those Davy falls in love stories where Davy gets stars in his eyes. Davy says he never does it on purpose. It just happens. Peter starts imitating Donald Duck having a temper tantrum, which Mickey approves of, but Davy does not. Mike says that they should rehearse. Then he asks Davy if they're going to dress alike for the show. Mickey suggests they all dress like professional wrestlers, and suddenly they're all in colorful tights with capes and masks. Davy says no. And so they're back to the way they were dressed when Mike asks if, if the club they're playing is the one that didn't let Ethel Merman in because she wasn't wearing pants, which leads to confusion between her and swimming movie star Esther Williams, ending in the punchline that Esther Merman is the underwater singer. Ha <laughs> ha. Davy says we need to start rehearsing before a plot line shows up. But then a blonde woman bursts in and runs up to Davy. Too late. She says she's being chased by men with cell phones who are also wearing black gloves. Davy and Mike respond that they've done that story before, but the cell phones are new. The woman says, okay, how about this? I woke up at a bus stop with amnesia, and there was also a note pinned to my dress saying return to sender. Davy says, that's pretty good, but we really have to rehearse. She says, can I stay and watch and bring in my friend who's right outside? They say, okay. It turns out that she had quite a few friends outside, 
So Mickey says, we weren't expecting an audience, but if anyone's thirsty, there's drinks in the microwave. We cut to a video for the Just Us track, You and I. The band are playing on an ice rink, and there are shots of the blonde woman figure, figure skating. The monkeys do some skating as well, and there's also someone in a dog costume around for some reason. Then we cut back to the house. Davies says, that sounded great, but we, they should also practice some of the hits. Mickey says, okay, let's start with Clarksville. But just as he's counting them in, we hear laughter. Uh-oh, the laugh track's broken. Mike says he likes it because he can say anything, no matter how sad or depressing, and get laughs. Davy goes to a hidden pa panel in the wall to turn it off. He throws one switch, and the laughs become booze. He throws another, and there's applause. Mickey tells him to turn everything off, so he does. Then suddenly we cut to a shot of a lizard sunning itself on a rock. Then we cut back to the band, who wonder what happened. Mike says that's stock footage that's being spliced in because the production budget is running out and they don't have enough film. It immediately happens again. Mickey suggests that they go somewhere else, like the beach. Peter says, yeah, I'm starting to get thought balloons, as a thought balloon appears above him, saying, I think, therefore I swim. Mm -hmm. They leave, but Davy hangs back turns on the applause again and starts bowing and saying thank you before Mickey drags him off. Cut to the beach and some sped up footage of Peter and Mike walking toward and, and away from the water. Mickey and Davey are in beach chairs. Davey reiterates that the band doesn't need a gimmick. All we need is just us. Nice, subtle product placement there, Davey. Mickey says, maybe you're right. Then Davey tells him that Mike turned the monkey mobile into a lowrider. Mickey is upset by this and confronts Mike about it as, as he and Peter sit down beside them. Mike says he saw one and liked how it looked like some kind of hopping South American bird. And besides the hydraulics... Mike also turned the car into a dimension machine. Mickey says, we can't go to a gig at a prestigious country club in a car like that. But Peter says, we could if we went to another dimension. Mike says he'll put it back, to which Mickey says, you'd better, because the monkey mobile is an important artifact. He then appears as a tour guide in a thought balloon, where he points out a display of the elephant man's bones, then a display of the invisible man's bones, and then a display of the transmission from the monkey mobile. Peter, however, insists that Mike keep the dimension switching thing. They get up, and Davy says they'd better rehearse. Mickey doesn't want to go back to the pad, and Davy says, that's okay, we can do it right here, as they suddenly come across the stage with all their equipment set up. They go up, and, then, and we then see a video for the Just Us cut, Circle Sky which is a harder rock version of a song from the Head soundtrack. The video consists of the, of the camera panning to a series of TVs on which the band are performing in front of a background of static. And at one point, that dog mascot skates by again. After the song, they come across a red-haired boy who's crying. Peter asks him if they were that bad. The boy is upset because 
He raised a pig from birth, and now his father wants to sell the pig for bacon. Again, this is similar to a plot the monkeys have supposedly already done, although apparently that involved a calf. Peter says, we can't just leave this kid crying. We need to entertain him. Mike then begins delivering Henry Fonda's climatic, climatic speech from the movie The Grapes of Wrath, but that makes the kid cry more. Davy then tries a song and dance routine, but that also upsets the kid. Then Mickey offers to throw up for him. He pops his cheek, and a visual effect of colorful confetti comes out of his mouth. The kid laughs and says, that's chill, and says he's going to get his friends to come and see it before he runs off. Now they're walking along the beach. Davies thinks they still need a storyline for the show, and he wonders if it's strange that they have no visible means of support. Mickey says, who says it has to be visible? Mike adds that all they need to do is just what they always do, hang out and have fun, and maybe a good storyline will come along once every few years. There's no need to change. Mickey says that's how he feels about the monkey mobile. Then we get another cut to the lizard on the rock. When we come back, Davy is still convinced that they need a plot, but Mike says they just need music. Conveniently enough, they come across a piano. Peter begins to play, and the rest gather round to sing a song whose entire lyrics are repetitions of the phrase, Antarctica is where I want to be. We cut to them now surrounded by snow and wearing winter coats and hats, while a couple nearby walks a dog. Then we go to what appears to be a wall of their house. There's a trophy of a plush moose head, then a framed picture of a pipe captioned, This is not a pipe, then a framed photo of the monkey's heads, captioned, this is not a band. Then Peter, wearing a suit, picks up a glove with the guy's heads at the fingertips out of, out of a golf bag. Then he goes to the rest of the group, who are also in suits and, looking, and are looking at themselves in a mirror. Mickey is boasting about how much the kid liked his throw-up trick, but Davy says the kid was eight, and even eight-year-olds deserve better than that. Then he asks, who's that purple dinosaur? The camera focuses on the finger puppet glove and 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 Davy continues that to say that the dinosaur thing is like this puppet, but way out of control. Just because you can entertain children with silly things doesn't mean you should. Peter asks, don't you think it's fun? Don't you think it's fun to play for little kids? Davy says, yeah, sure it is. But we can do that just by playing our music and maybe doing a couple dance steps. We're the monkeys. And that's all we need to be. Then we cut to a couple parked outside in a convertible. The woman tells the guy, see that house over there? A couple hundred years ago, four guys moved in there. Then they went crazy and they've never moved out. They supposedly have chainsaws and hockey masks and hatchets in there. Isn't that scary? Would you like to kiss me? The guy says, I'm scared of kissing you. Then Mickey appears in front of them saying the guy should be scared. With all the talk about safe sex, people aren't talking enough about safe kissing. He says Davy and Mike asking him for kisses at the beginning of the show was as dangerous as it was bizarre. Why, he says, I've seen people catch fire just by shaking hands. He approaches the monkey mobile, which suddenly bounces. Mickey is annoyed and tells Mike that the car jumped, 
Mike says he'll fix it as they all pile in and drive to their show. On the road, Mike is driving, and he tells them that that the dimension machine is controlled by the radio buttons. He presses one for the first dimension, and the picture shrinks. Not much happening there. Then he presses the second dimension, and the picture goes to a flattening effect. Then we're in the third dimension, which is where they already are. Then in the fourth dimension, where the picture rolls up into a ball and then takes a strange shape. Mickey is heard saying, Eat your heart out, Stephen Hawking. Mike stops his demonstration, but Peter notices that there are more buttons, so he presses one. Mike fails to stop him, and we see footage of them in the old monkey mobile. Mike says that one takes us back to the 60s and changes everything around us within 100 yards to back to that time. Peter then asks about the last button. Mike says it changes one object into another, and the effect doesn't stay completely in the car. Peter says, that's very monkeys. Mickey still prefers the car the way it was. Mike then re removes the steering wheel and hands it to Peter, saying, it's your turn to drive. They pull into the country club, outside of which is a sign that says, the most prestigious country club in the world. No, really. Inside, well-dressed people are walking around as the monkeys approach the security guard. They say, they're the monkeys, to which the guard replies, yeah, and I'm Ethel Merman. Suddenly, Davy appears in a wig and a pink pantsuit and says, no, I'm Ethel Merman. He does a dance routine to which the awestruck guard says, outstanding, but I still can't let you in because this club doesn't admit women in pants. Davy removes his pants and puts them over his shoulder, revealing stockings and heels. We then cut to them on stage for a sound check. Mickey says he can't believe the guard wasn't going to let them in. And Peter praises Davy's quick thinking. Davy says he's never met a guard yet who isn't a sucker for Ethel Merman. Then we cut to a video for yet another Just Us track, Regional Girl. It's a scrolling, mostly black and white shot of a few young women, a couple young men, and the monkeys, all of whom are seem to be trying to chat each other up. There are, there are a few color segments, and they feature that dog mascot again. I'm not sure what this is, or if it had been used by the band before or since. Looking it up on Google revealed that this dog is similar to Flegel from the late 60s kids show The Banana Splits, but I don't think it's supposed to be him. It's a monkey mystery. Hey, I wonder, if the monkeys had still been together in, into the first years of the 70s, might they have been signed up by Hanna-Barbera to do a Scooby-Doo-style cartoon show where they solve crimes while on tour? I think Mickey and Davey would have been up for it. Peter could have been convinced to come back for it, but I'd, I think Mike would have said no, and, re, and he would have been replaced by a dog wearing his hat. Kind of like this dog mascot thing. Whoa, full circle. <laughs> Then an older man and a younger woman come up to the band. The man says it's an honor to meet them. He's the owner of the club, and he's played by Chuck Woolery, who's best known for hosting game shows like Wheel of Fortune and Love Connection. 
He also had a music career himself in his youth, and he was part of a duo called the Avant Garde that had a minor hit, a minor top 40 hit in 1968 with a song called Naturally Stoned. Anyway, he introduces the woman as his daughter, the Princess of Twine. Davy asks if she's a real princess, but she says no. Daddy just calls me that because he, he thinks I've lost a few tiles on re-entry. This kicks off a running gag during the scene, during this scene, where Peter lists an other expressions that mean someone is dumb. Chuck, which is, which is also Willery's character's name, tells the band that he hopes they'll play a lot of their old hits, because if this show fails, he might, thunder and lightning sounds, lose the club. Mickey says, losing the club, that's a good story. And Davy says, what if the princess and I are stranded on a desert island and we need to make one more rent payment and there's a treasure buried on the other side of the island? Mike then tells Chuck and Princess that they're going to play a few songs from their new CD. To which the princess replies, but you'll still play old stuff, right? Like boil that cabbage down, boys? Mickey reiterates that they want to do mostly new stuff before saying, wait, boil that cabbage what? Chuck says that's one of our favorites. And he and Princess begin quoting lyrics that begin, I thought love was only true in fairy tales. Davy says, oh, that's I'm a believer, and says something about needing to promote their new CD. Then there's a cutaway gag with Peter as the host on a, on a shopping channel. He introduces guests Davy Jones from the Monkees and Martha Stewart, who's actually an undisguised Mickey. They're supposedly selling nonstick cookware and psychic makeup, but Davy plugs the album by holding up a CD and a poster. Peter asks Mickey if he's really Martha Stewart, and Mickey insists that he is. Peter asks, well, then, how do you make a wedding gown out of whipped cream frosting? Mickey says, it depends on the flavor. Now Davy is at a table talking to Princess. He's telling her about the new album, and she asks, and she asks if Boil That Cabbage Down Boys is on it. Then she says, you will play the old stuff, right? She gets stars in her eyes, and those stars turn into cherries, then they turn into a lemon and a seven, then swirly vortexes, then eventually they fall out of her eyes. Davy gets a hot dog appearing beside his head for some reason. He asks her how old she is, and she says she doesn't know. But, he, but Davy reassures her that they will play a few old hits. Then she asks the big question. Will Mike still wear the hat? Davy says, maybe. Then we get the lizard on the rock again. And when they come back, Davy says he has to go because the show is starting soon. Cut backstage, where Mickey is talking about using the possibilities of television more. Mike suggests one way they could do that is by doing the news in interpretive dance which the three of them proceed to demonstrate. Davy comes in and asks Mike if he still has his wool hat. Mike says he hasn't seen it in 25 years. Davy asks if he has any other hats. Mike says he has a baseball cap, but it makes him look like a cross between Steven Spielberg and a serial killer. Or Forrest Gump, Peter asks, which Mickey says is even scarier. 
Mike then does an impression of the life is like a box of chocolates line. Then Davy says he promised Princess they'd play the hits and reminds them that Chuck might lose the club. Mike says that's just a storyline gimmick. But she had stars in her eyes. Yeah, says Mickey, who for some reason is examining his drum kit with a stethoscope. She probably also had raisins and grapefruits, fruits, and the international symbol for slippery when wet. Then the red-haired boy from earlier shows up with some other kids, asking Mickey to do the throw-up trick again. He does, and we get the lizard again. Mike says, that's a special effect that costs a lot of money, so it's no wonder the pr producers need to pad out the show with that stock footage. Now we cut to Chuck on the stage. He asks the crowd what they think of when they hear the name monkeys. Cricket sounds. Yeah, me too, he says. Then he asks, who remembers bringing their monkey's lunchbox to school and getting beat up? Everyone raises their hand. Yeah, Chuck says. But it was quite a weapon, wasn't it? But those finger puppets were a little strange. Anyway, he says, here to sing songs from their brave new album, as well as some of their greatest hits, here are Arlo, Charlie, Humphrey, and Bing. Or as they're also known, Davy, Mickey, Mike, and Peter, the monkeys. The monkeys take the stage and begin to play Last Train to Clarksville. Mike isn't wearing a hat of any kind. This begins a medley that also includes Daydream Believer, I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, Boil That Cabbage Down, Boys, and Pleasant Valley Sunday. During this, we get a lot of clips from, of them from the 60s, as well as of the kids pressing that last button on the Monkey Mobile Dimension Machine, which, among other things, turns Mickey's drumsticks into a sandwich and a bone, Peter's bass into a mannequin leg, Mike's guitar into a shark, and Davy's tambourine into a foam watermelon slice. Cut to after the show. Chuck hands the band an envelope and, tell, and tells them they ha had a happy ending despite not having a storyline. He signed a new 99-year lease on the club, and they didn't need any stupid chases or exposition, just lots of goofy jokes, jokes and special effects. Princess says seeing them was a dream come true, and even though they're all grown up, they're just as stupid as they ever were. She also tells Davy she found out how old she is, but she forgot. Mike says, what a maroon. Now they're driving home, and they say this was episode 781. Mickey wonders if the general public knows that TV shows never really die. They continue to make new episodes, even though they don't get broadcast. They arrive home to find their house has been TP'd. Peter says, doesn't look half bad. Mickey says he might as well finish with another throw-up trick. And Mike says, why not? Endings are hard. Mickey pops his cheek, and we get confetti and fireworks effects. The credits begin with headshots of the boys then and now, with Davy now billed as David Jones. Then, like on most network shows in the late 90s, the rest of the credits are squeezed into the left of the screen so the network can run a promo, in this case, for the ABC premiere of the movie The Flintstones. 
So what did I make of this one? Well, it's weird too, but in a different way than 33 and a third revolutions per monkey. The strangeness is much more contrived and calculated than the let's throw any old crazy shit in there WTF randomness of the 1969 show. Obviously, Hey, Hey, It's the Monkeys is an attempt to recapture what made the original Monkey series popular. I think the comedy was hit and miss, with maybe a couple more misses than hits. But the chemistry between the guys was much more present than in 33 and a third, etc. And that went a long way to making this a charming effort overall. The promotion for the new album was awkward in a couple places, but not enough to turn me off. The new songs were okay, but nothing special, and the performance of the classics was decent enough. It's less interesting than the earlier show, but much more satisfying as a monkey's product. The special didn't do much for the sales of Just Us, which never charted. The four toured the UK later that year, but while Mickey, Davey, and Peter decided to continue touring, Mike left the group. They toured the US a couple times as a trio, but friction between Torque and the other two on a 2001 tour resulted in an estrangement that lasted until the three got back together for a 45th anniversary tour in 2011. In February of 2012, at the age of 66, Davy Jones died of a heart attack. Later that year, Nesmith joined Dolans and Torque for a tour, and he worked on and off with them for the next few years. In 2016, the three surviving monkeys released an album called Good Times, which reached, num- which reached number 14 on the Billboard album chart. Two years later, they released the holiday album Christmas Party. Peter, Peter Tork died of cancer in 2019. Mickey and Mike toured together in 2018 and again in the fall of 2021 on what they called the Monkeys Farewell Tour. Their last show was at the Greek Theater in Los Angeles on November the 14th. One month later, Michael Nesmith died from heart failure, leaving Mickey Dolans as the last surviving monkey. So as it has been with the last two Turn On, Tune In, Rocket Out episodes, I've also done a companion episode called A Microdose, which I'll post on my Patreon page and make available to anyone who contributes at any level. For this one, the obvious choice would have been to do an episode of the original Monkeys series, but I feel like with the effort effort I would put into that, I should just leave that for a future episode of the regular podcast. So instead, for this Microdose... I'm going to talk about one of the rare TV appearances the band made right after Peter left, and they were down to three. They did a 1969 episode of Johnny Cash's variety series, The Johnny Cash Show. What happens when one of music's legendary badasses meets up with the wacky jokesters who were put together by Hollywood producers? You can find out by going over to patreon.com slash oldmanyellsatmusic, signing up as a patron as a patron on at any level and listening to microdose number three monkeying around with the man in black. Thank you for listening to this episode of the old man yells at music podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, share, subscribe, and leave a review where you found it. You can also leave feedback on the Facebook and Twitter feeds. 
both of which are at Mr. B. Glovehead, or on the blog post for this episode, which is at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Or you can check out the Instagram account at Old Man Yells at Music. As always, there's a companion YouTube playlist for this episode, which I will link to in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to my Patreon, where you can support the show and get some bonus content, including mini episodes about Disco on 60 Minutes, the band Fear on Saturday Night Live, and now, of course, the Monkees on the Johnny Cash Show. And you can make my charts, just like Mike Birmingham. All lyrics quoted are for the purposes of discussion and review. No infringement is intended. Next time on the show, it's our first chart episode of the year, looking back at the hits of January 1986. Until then, I'm Roger Stroop saying, you won't find my name in your book of who's who. They asked me, but I prefer to remain unlisted. Stay safe.